would you stand and join me um, in our call to worship? It comes from Psalm 146. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. The Lord reigns forever for all generations. Praise the Lord.
Holy Father, how worthy you are of our praise and adoration. Not only do we get to sing to our creator, the maker of all things, but to our provider, to our promise keeper, to our savior. Let us reflect you, God. Let us follow your example in giving and providing and upholding and sustaining. Open our ears to hear you, to hear your word, to understand your word, to meditate and act on the word that you have for us this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you all take a minute to greet your neighbor? You got done quicker than I wanted you to get done. Good morning. Am I on here? There we go. Uh, It's good to have you here with us. My name is Daryl Mady. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that uh, you have a good experience today, not only of God's people, but but worshiping the Lord himself. We want to know that you are here with us, so please take uh, advantage of the pads that you have there, the brown pads, attendance pads. It should be towards the center aisles there on the sides. Uh, just register that you're here with us. Uh, we keep all the information private, so don't worry. Uh, and let us know if there's a way we can be praying for you, or if you're interested in getting involved in the church in some way, interested in children's ministry or a small group, there are ways you can indicate that on, on the uh, register. Also, wanted to draw your attention to the churches in the back. We don't have a specified time of taking up the offering. We want to just sort of focus our attention on, on prayer and praise of our Lord. But nonetheless, uh, giving is also a form of worship. And if you have an offering, you can put it in the slots in those model churches in the back of the sanctuary as you leave a little bit later. Um, before we get to our sermon, we, we uh, have the opportunity to do something really special. Uh, we are doing a baptism this morning. And what we're doing in baptism is we're celebrating uh, the fact that God has given new life uh, to, to a family, but has also brought a new life into our community. And we're recognizing that God uh, weaves that life into our, our covenant community. We're doing the baptism of Fletcher Nance, uh, son of uh, Bill and Leslie Nance, uh, this morning. I want to say a couple things before I invite the family up. What we do in baptism, we do in worship. It's not uh, some sort of side thing away from worship that we kind of do in the context and just have you witness. And you all participate. It's not just about Fletcher. It's about our, uh, our community. Um, it's a recognition that a new life is being brought into our covenant community. That's what we're doing in baptism. We're, we're putting the sign and seal of God's covenant grace uh, on, on this child, and we do it in faith and obedience uh, to the Lord. It's, it's a way of recognizing God's grace to the Nance family, but also to us, but also recognizing that we put our trust not in ourselves, and the Nance family is not putting their trust to raise Fletcher in themselves, but in the Lord's care. We say, Lord, we need your help, and so we entrust this task, we entrust this child to you. Does water baptism save? No, that's not what we're saying at all. But we are recognizing that God promises to work through families. And we look to the day when Fletcher will 
profess faith uh, for himself. And uh, we're recognizing that it's really God's sovereign initiative. He moves towards us, not us towards him. Um, That's what we're celebrating uh, here this morning. So um, I want to remind everyone why we don't do this privately as well. As I said before, um, this is not just about the Nance family. It's about us. And it's not a spectator sport you just watch. You're going to be taking vows. If you remember, sometimes people forget, but you take vows too to help this family raise uh, this child. And it's your opportunity as well to think back on your own baptism and ask yourself, have I been walking in a way which lives up to the baptism, uh, lives up to the grace that God has shown me and to renew your faith in Jesus Christ. So that being said, I want to invite the Nance family up. You stand right there. There are words of promise to you and to your family. Listen, listen to the covenant promise of God. For to you is the promise and to your children and to all who are far off, even as as many as our Lord shall call to himself. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your seed after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God to you and your seed after you. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. I have some vows for you two here. I can't quite see Leslie there. There we go. So Bill and Leslie, do you acknowledge Fletcher's need as well as your own of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ and the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit? Do you? We do. Do you claim God's covenant promises and benefits uh, on Fletcher's behalf? And do you look in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ for his salvation as you do for your own? Do you? Do you now unreservedly dedicate your child to God and promise in humble reliance upon divine grace that you will endeavor to live an exemplary life before your child, do you? We do. Do you commit yourself to pray with and for your child, to teach your child the scriptures and the great articles of our faith in Jesus Christ, do you? We do. Do you promise to use every means provided by God, including faithful participation in the life of this church to bring your child up in the loving discipline of the Lord, do you? Again, this is not a spectator sport. I have some questions and vows for you. There's three of them. I'm going to read all three, and then I'm going to ask that you respond to those vows with a hearty amen. Can you do that? Do you, the members of this congregation, and in the name of the visible church of our Lord Jesus Christ, take responsibility for the continued Christian nurture of Fletcher, promising to set a godly example by your own life and to pray for Fletcher in this new life of faith? Do you, the members of this congregation, acting for yourselves and in behalf of the whole body of Christ, assume responsibility with these parents for the spiritual nurture of Fletcher? Do you commit yourself to set a godly example before this child to provide, as far as you are able, all that is necessary to the end that this child may one day confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? If so, then say, Amen. Amen. Good. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now and we ask your blessing be upon this family and upon Fletcher. As we baptize Fletcher this morning, we ask you would attend to this sacrament, the sign and seal of your covenant relationship with us. And Lord, may we do this in honor of your grace to us. As we do it in faith, would you attend to it? 
And Lord, build us all up in faith in your promises. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the name you give your child? Uh, Fletcher James Nance. Fletcher, I'm going to go this way. Would you move that? I don't want to get water all over your, that right there. Move that. Thank you. That's their certificate, you know, the special thing. I don't want to get it all wet. Fletcher James Nance, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray again. Lord and Father, we give you thanks for Fletcher, and we ask that as we've done this simple thing with water, that you would do something extraordinary with it, um, that you would mark this child, and that he would look back onto this moment, even though he can't remember it, but knowing that it was done, and knowing that you moved towards him, and we put his faith in you. We look forward to the day when we see that. Bless uh, Bill and Leslie as they raise Fletcher. And give them wisdom and grace that they may lead him to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We pray it in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. I want to introduce you to the newest covenant member of our family, Fletcher James Nance. to you. You've taken vows to help this family. So that means helping. And that might mean helping in the nursery. It might mean helping in the elementary education. It might mean helping in the youth group eventually. But come alongside this family as they seek to see Fletcher claim Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Thanks. Well, let me add my good morning to the folks that have already greeted you. My name's Tom Ricks. It's good to be with all of you this morning. I'm one of the pastors here at Green Tree. Uh, I'll reinforce what Daryl said. We have uh, grandchildren with us for a few months, and about four weeks ago when I had a Sunday off, um, I brought three granddaughters to church, ages nine, four, and three, all by myself. Thank you very much. Quite frankly, that's not nearly enthusiastic enough an applause for what I went through. Um, (laughs) Preaching a sermon is easy compared to getting three girls to church who are nine, four, and three. Did I mention that? Um, So who gave the amen over here? Tammy, was that your amen for the nursery? Amen. Let's, Let's jump in there and help them. So I got my notes. I got my Bible. 
Got my blues hat. Okay. I lost it this week. I was glad I found it before this morning. Go Preds. Yeah. <laughs> That's almost funny. <laughs> he works for us. You're fired. Um, <laughs> let me invite you to turn your Bibles, if you have them, to Matthew chapter 23. The passage will be on the screen in, uh, in just a minute. We're going to look at just uh, two verses this morning. We're beginning a new sermon series this morning. It goes for nine weeks uh, entitled, uh, The Weightier Matters of the Law. Uh, a good friend said to me uh, a year or so ago that a good sermon should comfort the agitated, excuse me, should comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. I, uh, I, I guess I'm comfortable because I've been afflicted all week long. Uh, this passage of scripture uh, kind of hit me right between the eyes with uh, the importance of the care of the weightier matters of the law and how much I have neglected that in my own life. So uh, I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to anybody else. But for the next nine weeks, I think we're going to be in a journey where we could get a bit uncomfortable. The great news about Scripture is that it doesn't make us uncomfortable to hurt us. It makes us uncomfortable to give us life. Uh, the Lord Jesus promises that His Holy Spirit and His Word will do their work in our lives in order for us to be transformed, to have our minds renewed, to have our emotions changed, so that we end up looking more like Jesus, seeing the world the way He sees it, and reacting in a way that is actually glorifying to God, but also helpful to our fellow man. Uh, this particular uh, passage is going to be the theme scripture for the next nine weeks, uh, and it is, comes by way of uh, Jesus actually chastising verbally the religious leaders of his day. Uh, but he does so, again, hoping that they will listen and that they will receive the correction and will apply it to their lives, and it's with the, that spirit that we come to God's word this morning. Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 and 24, Jesus is speaking. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without, without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, uh, even when it is confrontational. Father, we thank you that uh, it is meant to uh, dig out those things in our lives that are more conformed to this world then transformed by the presence of the Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, and his word in our lives. Father, we thank you that we are on a journey of grace. We are not on a journey of duty or slavery or obligation. We have been set free from the law of sin and death by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But as that gospel takes root in our heart, you promise that it will change us from the inside out. And and we need that change, Lord. We, we freely admit that this morning. We fall short of following you as we should, of loving our fellow humanity the way we should. Uh, we, at times, actively oppose one another and do harm to one another. 
And so we come to you this morning, not as perfect people, not as self-righteous people, but as people in desperate need of your mercy. So Lord, we pray that you would teach us. What I have to say is not important. I pray that you would keep me from being an obstacle. You would forgive my sin and don't let me stand in the way. And we pray that your word would rule and reign in our hearts and our minds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sermon in a sentence this morning goes like this, for Jesus' disciples, so if you're a disciple of Jesus, put your name in there. Neighbors must include anyone within our proximity in need of someone offering justice and mercy and faithfulness. Now, my eighth grade English teacher would tell me that that sentence would flow better if I took out uh, the phrase, someone offering, and just had it read, people within our proximity in need of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But it's important for us to understand this morning that Jesus is talking about our hearts and minds individually about people who need those three things, justice and mercy and faithfulness. So it'd be easy if those words weren't in the sentence to say, well, that's for somebody else. That's for another group of people. Uh, That was for the Pharisees in Jesus's day, but it doesn't apply to me. I want to suggest to you that Uh, It applies to all of us that I can't look to my right or my left and hope that the person sitting next to me or in front of me or behind me gets this teaching before I look in the mirror and say, God, would you please show me my own heart? Show me how you want me to grow in this question of justice and mercy and faithfulness. The other word there is proximity. Well, who is in our proximity? Who who lives within our reach? And I'm going to run through just a, a couple of charts of data this morning, not to uh, not to try to make anybody feel guilty. That's not my intention. Uh, it's not to say, you know, boy, we've got a problem here, and what's the matter with with all you people that aren't doing anything about it? But simply to show that there is great need within our own community, because you can also kind of look at this big question of justice and mercy and faithfulness and go, well, we just simply cannot change the the world, right? So I, I don't want to make the question bigger than it needs to be. Proximity is our own backyard. So I'm, we're just going to look at St. Louis for a minute or two. If you look at the graph behind me, you'll notice that the life expectancy around St. Louis County, uh, Midtown, South St. Louis County, and area are all about the same. But if you look at the north part of the city, and if you look at the downtown part of the city, right on the river, you will see a dramatic difference in life expectancy. Why is that? Well, there's probably a lot of reasons, but there are contributing factors that I think are worth noting. The first is uh, that the African-American population in our community live in the area where the life expectancy is the lowest. That's not just uh, an anomaly. That is not an outlier. There's a reason for that. If you move on and you study it a little bit more, one of the things that you'll notice, go to the next slide, or that, I'm sorry, stay back on that one, that the the poverty rate in our community, and and I don't, I'm, I don't know if if I'm colorblind or I'm just off a little bit, but that looks like dark red to me. So I'm going to say dark red. It might be burnt orange, but that area is where the highest concentration of poverty is in our community. Keep moving beyond there. We'll get into the questions of health and wellness and the heart disease rates within our community are the highest in that area. The deaths caused by cancer are the highest in that area. If you look at the question of enrollment in school, again, you will notice that the minority population of African-Americans and the school districts in those areas are, are most highly Uh, populated in that particular area. And I think we have one more. 
Notice the percentage of school dropout by zip code, and you'll notice again that area of poverty has a correlation to the issues that we would talk about when we talk about things like justice and mercy. Again, I don't give you that data to make you feel bad. I think it's important that we simply understand that we don't have to travel very far. In fact, I would even argue you don't even have to go to North St. Louis or downtown St. Louis. You can stay right here in Kirkwood and Glendale and De Pere, and you can find people in desperate need of mercy and justice and faithfulness. So this is for us. It's not for somebody else. And I believe that God is calling Green Tree Community Church to lead the way in this question in our generation. So we want to look at this text very carefully with ourselves in mind, not another church, not another uh, neighbor or another family member, but with us in, in mind. And I want to look at three things in this passage this morning. The first is, what exactly is Jesus saying? We want to be clear about that. Secondly, we want to see the correction that Jesus offers. And thirdly, the warning that Jesus gives. So let's start with what Jesus says in verse 23. And the first thing he says is, woe to you scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Now, we don't use that term woe very often in our culture. If I said, you know, if you came up to me today and said, how you doing, Tom? And I said, oh, woe is me, right? You would understand it, right? You would get it, but you would think there was really something wrong with me, right? Nobody talks like that. Uh, but it's a negative term. And it's not just I don't feel very good. Woe is me. If you really kind of get to the, to, the, to the bottom of that word, it's kind of like saying, oh, I, wish I, I wish I were dead. I mean, it's really had a lot of negative weight to it. So when Jesus looks at the religious leaders of his day, the people that are supposed to be leading the way in justice and mercy and faithfulness, he says, woe to you. In other words, you have missed it terribly. You have it all backwards. What, what, what do you have backwards? What you have backwards is God's intention for how his people are to live their lives. The problem with the Pharisees and the scribes were that they were sucked up into a lifestyle of legalism. Has anybody ever heard that term before, legalism? Legalism means you think that if you obey enough rules, you're better than everybody else. And that God will love you more because you do the right thing as opposed to the folks around you. And so he comes to these Pharisees and he says, woe to you legalists, you rule keepers. And then he gives them an example of their rule keeping. You tithe mint and dill and cumin. Now, we're going to stop for a minute. We're going to talk about tithing. You know that that is not the heart of this passage and the heart of this sermon. But we need to understand what's going on here. Okay. Jesus is saying you're overemphasizing one portion of the law while you're completely ignoring another portion, okay? Tithing is part of the Mosaic law. Let's go back to Deuteronomy for just a minute. Technically, tithing simply means 10%, okay? So when Moses was given the law by God and passed it on the nation of Israel, God said to the people, you shall give 10% of all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year and your grain, and your wine, and your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. God says, you give me 10% of everything, and by doing so, you learn to worship me. You learn to trust in me. What you learn is that you don't produce for yourself. I've given you all these good gifts, and your trust becomes more in me than it is in yourself. So God is giving this command to the nation of Israel out of love. 
God doesn't need their 10%. God doesn't need your 10%. He doesn't need my 10%. He wants me to give it to him because he knows it will grow and bless my soul. And Leviticus goes on to say this, every 10% of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So what Jesus is saying here is that you tithe, and he's not saying tithing is wrong. In fact, we'll see in a few minutes, he's actually saying that, that he's affirming it. But that the Jewish leaders of his day were worried about that nitpicky to the very, you know, the very smallest of the spices. I want to look good even down to saying, you know, I, I pull my spices out of the, the spice rack in my kitchen. And I, and I give off 10% and I give even that to the Lord while they've completely ignored what's at the heart of the matter. Let me take you to Micah, the prophet Micah in the Old Testament. And Micah's writing to the nation of Israel. And he says this. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. Look at that word, good. God's giving you a good gift here. And what does the Lord require of you? He requires you to trust him that he's giving you something good by what? By doing justice and loving kindness, which is very similar to that word mercy that Jesus uses in Matthew's passage. And to walk humbly with your God. There's the faithfulness. The good gift that God wants to give you and the good gift that God wants to give me is to learn to trust him to learn to believe in his promises in a practical way that not only blesses me as I learn God's generosity, but it blesses the people around me. And what Jesus is saying to the, to the Pharisees, to the, to the scribes, you've missed it completely. You have no zeal in your heart for God, nor your fellow man. You're simply interested in keeping the rules. And so you end up saying one thing, I love God, I'm serving God, I'm following God, and doing another because you ignore the weightier matters of the law. That's the message that Jesus has for the Pharisees. Now, most of us, when we read the Gospels, if we're honest, if you've been a disciple of Jesus for a while, okay, and you read the Gospels and you read about these guys called the, the scribes and the Pharisees, most of the time it's really negative. And most of the time you read it and you go, I'm glad I'm not like one of them. I'm glad I'm not a Pharisee or a scribe. Don't be too quick to believe that. Jesus offers a correction to these folks. He says this, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others, okay? And that's where Jesus affirms the tithe. Jesus says there's nothing wrong with you giving 10%. In fact, that's exactly what God has told you to do. Now, if Jesus is telling it to that generation, he's telling it to our generation, if you're a disciple of Jesus, and I'm a disciple of Jesus, he calls us to tithe, to give 10% to the growth of his kingdom. It's not a mystery. It's not confusing. It's not difficult to understand. But we live in a consumeristic culture, and it makes it almost impossible for us to obey. We choose to follow the world. We choose to ignore God's generosity to us. We choose to forget that God loves to see generosity in his people because he knows that it will draw them closer to him, and we go our own way. George Barna, the famous Christian research organization, did, has done numerous studies on tithing and the Christian Americans, and the most recent study says 5% of the body of Christ, people that claim to be disciples of Jesus, tithe. Most of us give between 2 and 3%. And this is where I said, don't be too quick to judge the Pharisees, because when I don't tithe and when you don't tithe, we're actually not even as good as the Pharisees. 
There's a humbling thought. I told you, I was, I, I've been agitated all week because this. I'm looking at this and going, I, if I'm going to be honest, there are times when I have not tithed in my life where I ignore the promise of God and I look more like my culture than I do Jesus. I'm neither generous nor gracious. You're going to have to wrestle with that with the Lord because it's very clear and it's very direct. I think about us as a congregation, and, and my assumption is that maybe we're, we're a little bit better than that statistically. Um, God's given us this wonderful building, and, and there have been a lot of, of resources committed to it. But if we're, if we're close to that information, then I just did a little bit of math. And I can do a little bit of math. I can't do a lot of math. But if, if, if this is close to accurate about us, that means that if we were all tithing, that this building would already be paid for. And you know that idea we have about maybe creating a preschool for, for the kids in our community that are living below the poverty line, and, and they don't have a preschool to go to, and so when they get to kindergarten, they're already way, way behind? That school would already be funded for the next five years. We could triple our missions giving, and on and on and on. Do we really have the heart of Jesus, or do we just like to talk about it? Jesus calls us to trust in him, and he corrects these folks. He said, these things you ought to have done, but without neglecting the latter. Because when you neglect the weightier matters of the law, then you don't, you, you're guilty again of not reflecting God's generosity through your care for your fellow human being. And that's where we get into these words, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Justice is the antidote for oppression. Justice says all must be treated with fairness and with respect and with equanimity. There are no favorites. Go to Deuteronomy again with me, if you would, please. In chapter 10, it says this, the Lord your God is the God of God and the Lord of lords who is not partial and takes no bribe, right? That's how the rich get what they want. They're able to bribe the judge while the poor who have no money have to suffer oppression from the judge. He executes justice for the fatherless, for the widow, those are the weakest among us, and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. If you go from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 10 to 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. And we're reminded that God isn't standing on the sidelines coaching us into what we ought to do while he watches, but rather he's inviting us to join in this process with him as Paul reminds the Christians in Corinth how much Jesus has given, how generous he's been so that we could have new life. You know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. The author there is saying, Jesus invested every dime he had in your salvation. And we just celebrated that last week, didn't we? On Good Friday, the death of our Lord Jesus that purchases our salvation on the cross. He gave everything, even his life's blood, so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be a people who use our power and our strength and our influence to protect and to lift up, not to dominate others, not to use our strength to get what we want, but use whatever resources we have to make sure those who are the weakest among us are cared for and loved and experience genuine justice. I know in our, in our culture, in our country, there, uh, with, with 
uh, cell phones now, there's a video on everything. There's videos on, on flight attendants getting in fights with passengers on planes and, and everything else under the sun. And most videos you see are negative. Most videos you see are about somebody behaving badly. And there have been a lot of, of videos about police officers behaving badly over the last few years. And I'm the son of a police officer. My dad was a cop for 27 years. So I don't like watching those kinds of videos, right? But I saw a video about a year ago that just really captured my attention. And it it was these kids in a neighborhood, and it was clearly a poor neighborhood, but they had uh, jump ropes, right? And there were about eight girls, nine girls, and they had the, and two girls were on the end, and they're doing the, you know, the, and I don't know how they do this. I mean, it's unbelievable. I, first of all, I can't jump, right? And, and so if I got in, then I would be all tangled up and be laying on the ground. But they're doing this jump rope thing, and there are two cops standing there leaning against their car, and they're watching them do this jump rope thing for about 30 seconds. And then, you know how, like, one kid gets in and the other kid gets out? So this, this cop goes, and he gets in line. And another girl goes, and, and then he's, and he jumps in, and he does this, this jump rope thing for, like, 30 seconds, and he doesn't miss. And he, and he nails it, and then he jumps out, and they all just go crazy, and they start cheering. And what was he doing? He was using his power. He was using his authority to exercise giving someone justice, giving them dignity, letting them know that they're important, that they count, and that they could trust somebody like him if they got in a jam. Do we have that kind of mindset when it comes to using the influence we have? Our influence might not be nationwide, but our influence certainly is neighborhood-wide. We have people in our own backyard that need someone to stand up for them for justice. And Jesus corrects the Pharisees and says, you're wrong not to do that. And then there's this word mercy. Mercy means going the extra mile. It means giving freely what isn't earned or deserved. It's always connected to sacrificing, sacrificing, giving up your rights so that you could care for others, giving of your time, your money, your energy, your comfort for those who are in need. And again, when scripture calls us, says when Jesus calls us to be people of mercy, he doesn't say, go do it and come back and tell me how it works out. He says, follow me into mercy. But God, Paul writes to the Christians in Ephesus, being rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead and our transgressions and sins. It is by grace you have been saved. Jesus says, I've been merciful to you. I want you now to reflect that mercy to the people around you. I remember when uh, Catherine Shaw taught me because uh, I'm the same as everybody else. I get, I, I get kind of nervous in different situations, and I'm not sure what to do. And so when I'm ever in a traffic light and there's somebody holding a sign there that's asking for a donation, I always kind of do what everybody else does. I kind of look there. I look the other way, and I'm never quite sure what to do. And, and a, about a year ago, Catherine said, well, why don't you just buy the sign from them? Because that will, they, they, then they got to go make another one. They have the, the dignity of going and producing something. And so I caught on to that, and I, I, and I tried to do that. And I was in... Um, I was in Florida at a conference in January for a couple days, and I'd taken the wrong turn on the highway. So I'd gotten off the highway, and I was going to go under the overpass and, and go back the other way. But I come to the traffic light, and sure enough, there's a guy standing there with a sign, but he's got a buddy with him, and his buddy's sitting under the overpass about 30 feet away. And I guess he was on coffee break, and he was taking some time off, and he's got his other guy out there holding the sign. So I put down my window, and the guy walks over, and I said, hey, I'll give you 10 bucks for that sign. He said, what? I said, I'll give you 10. I said, I guess you, we do this in Missouri all the time. You haven't heard about this in, in Florida? This hasn't caught on down here in the Sunshine State? What's going on? 
I said, I'll pay you for your, I said, I'm not going to give you any money, but I'll pay you $10 for that sign. Sure. So I hand him a $10. And then he turns around and he goes, I just sold our sign for 10 bucks. <laughs> and his buddy said, you did what? <laughs> and I sold our sign. He goes, we don't have another one. He goes, we'll find another one and make another one. And I went, yeah, that's exactly right. All right. You hold your head up. You feel a little bit better. I think Jesus was probably smiling at the way I bumbled through that deal. But there was something about that that I thought, not that I, that I get applause for it. That's not the idea. I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm patting mercy on the back, right? I'm patting Jesus' mercy on the back because it's like all three of us experienced something that was really, really cool. And Jesus says to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and he says to me and to you today, if we're disciples of his, if you're not merciful, you're just not getting it. You're missing it, and you're missing it badly. And then thirdly, he uses this word faithfulness. And this is where the, the, the coin turns a little bit because mercy and justice are to our fellow man, it's to humanity, it's people to people. But faithfulness is my love for and my trust in God. It's, it's the vertical relationship. And so go back to Micah for just a second, right? And how does Micah end up that verse? So he's told you what's good, what he wants, right? It's for you to do justice and mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's what the gospel does for you. You know what? That's one of the great gifts of the gospel. It's not just that you have new life. It's not just that you're saved for all of eternity, but you get something that you, A, absolutely cannot earn, and B, you absolutely do not deserve it. If you are sitting here this morning and you think you deserve God's love by the way you've lived your life, with all due respect, you're delusional. Scripture is very clear because it's very accurate to humanity and how we're really hardwired. And we are, I am, I'll put myself at the front of the list, we are a mess. We do not deserve God's love. We cannot earn God's love. And yet God is rich in mercy. And so one of the things that happens is not just that grace saves us, but it gives us the right amount of humility. It creates within us a sense of this isn't about me. I don't earn this. It's a gift that God's given, and I simply want to reflect that. So what's your motivation? What's my motivation for justice and mercy? It's our faithfulness to God who has first been faithful to us. Tim Keller writes this, I would like to believe that a heart for the poor sleeps down in a Christian's soul until it is awakened. I think the reason that this sensibility has not been more aroused in the Christian world is due to the failure of my own class, pastors and Christian leaders. We tend to try to develop a social conscience in Christians the same way the world does, through guilt. I believe, however, when justice for the poor is connected not to guilt but to grace and to the gospel, this pushes the button down deep in the believer's soul's and they begin to wake up. That is an astounding and accurate statement. The cross of Jesus Christ, his mercy and his grace is what causes us to be faithful and to love mercy and to love justice. And so Jesus loves us enough, brothers and sisters, to correct us when we're off course. And you have to weigh this this morning as much as I've had to weigh it all week. Where am I I'm sure there are people in this room that, that are, are excelling at living out the gospel in your life. Help us. Bring us along with you because most of us, I'm sure, are struggling in one or more of these areas. Jesus doesn't just 
make a clear statement and he doesn't just give us a correction, but he also offers a warning. He's kind enough to say, if you keep going down this way, kind of here's the end result. The first thing he says is to ignore this is what? Is to be a hypocrite is to say one thing and do something else. Say, I'm saved by grace, but I'm not going to live that way. I'm going to be a legalist, and I'm going to obey some rules, but I'm not going to care about my fellow man. Jesus says that has nothing to do with the gospel, and you're saying one thing, but you're living quite another. And he warns us about that. But he also says to ignore justice and mercy and faithfulness is actually a complete farce. I mean, Jesus begins to kind of kind of poke a little fun at, at the Pharisees and at you and me today. He says, you blind guides. Now, I, I don't want to uh, be insensitive to disability of blindness, but think about this for just a second. If you had to cross Manchester Road or, or Kirkwood Road at Manchester Kirkwood, if you, had to, if you had to cross all four of those corners at, at, at 5.30 in the afternoon on a, on a Thursday afternoon, you wouldn't ask a blind person to lead you. That'd be suicidal because they can't see what's going to come and hurt them. And Jesus says, you're trying to be guides and you, don't even, you can't even see where you're going. And then he takes it to, to even a, a, a more ridiculous statement. And this was, this was kind of a, a colloquialism of Jesus' day, straining out, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. The notion that, you know, you look in your little glass of wine or your little glass of water or whatever it is you're drinking, you know, your glass of milk, and you look and there's a little gnat in there. Man, you've got to get that gnat out of there because you, you sure don't want to swallow it. You sure you don't want to get that in your mouth. But then you get it out and then you take a big old fat bullfrog and you put it in and you try to swallow that. It just doesn't make any sense. It's just silly. It's just goofy. If one of my granddaughters, one of my young granddaughters, I say, hey, let's go get a frog and put it in our milk and drink it, they'll start laughing. Oh, Grandpa, that's so silly, right? And Jesus is saying, you silly people, when you ignore justice and mercy and faithfulness, it's absurd to suggest that we are spiritual while ignoring oppression and pain and the suffering of humanity that is within our proximity. So how do we begin to move collectively as a congregation? How do we begin to move individually as disciples of Jesus through these next nine weeks and hopefully beyond where we would continue to grow and to be enriched and deepened in our love for Jesus and our expression of that love through justice and mercy and faithfulness? Well, the first one is, is kind of the side road. It's not even really the point this morning, but, but if I'm not tithing, I ought to begin tithing. Now, understand that, that maybe I'm, I'm, I'm buying a little bit too, too much stuff for myself, and maybe I've, my, my budget's a little bit upside down. It might take me a year or two to get it all sorted out before I can tithe, but am I willing to make that commitment? Am I willing to say, Jesus, I want to tithe out of a grateful heart? I want to give you this because I want it to grow your kingdom because of what you've given for me. That, uh, you know, it sounds almost oversimplistic, but the, the beauty of that is knowing that Jesus called us to that because he loves us and following that and then experiencing that generosity in your own heart is truly an amazing spiritual journey. Secondly, I would suggest, although we're not going to have a contest because Bob Colette wins every memorization contest we have. He was in the first service. I said, Bob, we're not going to let you win again. But I would strongly encourage all of us to memorize these two verses, to be able to think about, on a, on, have on the tip of our tongue, the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. 
Thirdly, I would suggest that we pray a very specific prayer collectively as a congregation and for ourselves. God, show me what's really truly in my heart. Don't let me skate by thinking I'm okay and I'm not a Pharisee and this isn't really for me and I'm really a nice person. I'm pretty kind. God, show me what's in my heart. I think if you pray that God will be faithful because he wants to show us the places where we're not like Jesus. And he wants to move us away from the brokenness of this world. And he wants to give us the new life that only the Holy Spirit of God and only the word of God can give. I believe if we ask God to show us where we're, where we're falling short, he'll do that. Not to be mean to us, not to oppress us, but to give us new life. And fourthly, let me ask that after we bow our heads, we pick our heads up and we begin to look around and ask the question, where within my proximity? So for some of you guys and gals this morning, it's at your school. Some of you are students here. Some of you are in grade school and in middle school and high school. And we learn things like injustice and meanness at a very early age. We're very capable by the time we're six or seven or eight to be very mean or to be very kind, to be Christ-like in the way we deal with justice or, or to be like the world. We need to look around and see where in my proximity, so if I'm in school or in business or in my neighborhood, or in my own family, where are the places where I can exercise justice and mercy and faithfulness? Sandy Wilson's a wonderful pastor in our denomination. He's getting ready to retire. He's also uh, a good friend and, and was a mentor to me. I worked for him for about five years, and he's, um, he's said a lot of great things in his life. But uh, as we wrap up this morning, I, I was uh, reminded this week, my friend sent this to me, of something he said recently. He said, the historical record of the moral failure of the social, excuse me, the historical record of moral failure and social insensitivity by individual Christians and the institutional church is a reality that we must face in every generation. So now it's our generation. And we are both individual Christians and part of an institutional church that's named Green Tree Community Church. And so we must recognize that there is moral failure in our own hearts and in the heart of Green Tree. There is social insensitivity in our own hearts and in the hearts of Green Tree. But it's our turn to see what God will do if we come before him and ask him not only to show us our heart, but to show us a pathway where we can look more like Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this word. We thank you that it is a word of grace, even as it is a word of challenge and correction. Father, protect us from self-righteousness and thinking, well, this, this doesn't apply to us. These were to those, those really mean Pharisees and scribes in Jesus' day. Lord, it has to apply to us because there's injustice in our own community. There's bigotry in our own community. There's, there, there's a lack of mercy in our neighborhoods in our businesses, in our schools, in our shops. There's inequity in our own hearts. So, Father, I pray that you would show us this not to, not to um, hurt us, but to give us loving discipline, a correction that leads us in a new way. Father, I thank you that there's such a spirit of green, a green tree of wanting to know your word and wanting to apply it to our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that, that you would do that and these next few weeks with the weightier matters of the law, that we would reflect more of your mercy and your justice and your faithfulness. We pray in your name. Amen.
Before we sing this morning, uh, my friend Alicia is going to share with you a little bit about uh, an opportunity that we have this summer to, uh, to uh, add on a little bit to our Vacation Bible School, which is something that we do every year. So she's going to talk about VBS, but she's also going to mention uh, kind of a focus that we want to have that comes kind of directly out of, out of this sermon series that we're going to be looking at. So Alicia, thanks for sharing with us. Um, so <clears throat> as Tom was saying, I get to spend a few minutes just talking about a really tangible way that we can serve our neighbors, um, and that's through VBS or Vacation Bible School. I've been helping out with VBS for several years now, both through Green Tree and at my previous church in Boston. So I love to sing. I also happen to love working with children. So it makes a lot of sense that I would have a role leading music in VBS. But there's something more that I love about the music in general. Um, I love the way that music makes things stick. I can still remember words to songs that I sang as a child. Music is how I memorized my first Bible verses. Music is how I reiterate God's promises to me when I'm going through hard things in life. Music makes the words of the page stick. So when I think about what music will be playing in my car's CD player all summer long, when I think about the songs my own children will be humming, I'm really excited that I get to teach songs um, that don't just have catchy tunes, but also have uh, meaningful lyrics that include scripture, that include truths about who God is. And I'm excited that hundreds of kids are going to fill this space and hear these songs over and over and over. Because as they leave with one of those songs stuck in their head, they're going to find themselves rehearsing messages about how God loves them and what he's done for them. So I know not every kid is enraptured by music like I was, like I am. Um, there are kids who make stronger connections through hearing about God through story. There are kids who really love silly skits. That's what sticks in their mind. Kids who um, really connect through creating a craft or playing a game or having a small group conversation. And the great thing about the VBS that takes place here is that it incorporates all of these different things, all these different learning styles. It offers different opportunities for kids to learn about Jesus in whatever style works for them. But we need your help. In order to provide these experiences and facilitate each one of the 250 kids that we're expecting to fill our building, including 50 spots that have been reserved specifically for our neighbors. And these 50 spots are spots that we're hoping that some of our youngest members of our community, our youngest neighbors in our immediate vicinity are going to join us. The Green Tree staff is working with Hope Unlimited, um, local pastors and community leaders to intentionally fill these spots so that we have at least 50 more opportunities to walk alongside our neighbors, to love them well, to show them Jesus. But like I was saying, we need volunteers. We need adults who are willing to lend your time, your hands, your hearts to come alongside these kiddos and help show them Jesus. So our VBS this year is June 26th through June 30th. It's only five mornings from 9 to 11.30. If you are interested, if you are willing um, I would invite you to do this with us. Diana Rolfing had a table in the atrium. It might still be out there when we leave. Um, if not, you can come find me or you can find Diana at another time. But she's got lots of information about the, the many different ways that you can serve. You don't have to sing um, and dance. But we'll, we will have a place for you somewhere if you are willing. Um, so I hope that you will consider signing up to be part of this adventure. And now that you've heard me talk about how much I love music, will you please stand? And join us as we respond in worship. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you all for worshiping with us this morning. Uh, our prayer team and our Stephen ministers are always right over here. If you have any prayer needs or you just want to speak with somebody about something that's on your heart, please avail yourself to them. They would love to hang out and chat with you. And now receive the Lord's benediction, which I gladly offer to you in his name. May the grace and the mercy and the peace of God so indwell each one of our hearts that our lives would be marked by his justice and his mercy and his faithfulness until the day we see him face to face. The Lord bless you. Go in peace.